Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Many years ago, we lived in, uh, in Nooksack, and I think we might have had one kid and some on the way. One night, my wife woke me up real abruptly. You know, I was just sawing some great logs. She woke me up real abruptly and said, there's something flying in the room. So I did what every wise man would do. I pulled the covers up over my head. <laughs> that wasn't what she had in mind. She wanted me to look into the matter extensively at that point, <laughs> which I think I did sooner or later. In the book of Hebrews today, we're going to find a, an instruction from God telling us to look into the matter further and look into it more significantly. In particular, he's going to tell us to consider Jesus. Follow as I read Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for, which testimony, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. We want to consider Jesus today. The first verse of this chapter says, Holy brethren, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. The word for consider here in this passage has an interesting literal meaning. It literally means to put your mind down. Now, we all know folks that have put their mind down a long time ago. But it's not talking about putting it down like that. It's not putting it down and not using it. It's putting it down on something. Set your mind down on it. In other words, focus on it. Get in there and, and see what's there. In Luke chapter 10, we have an example of a woman who did that. Follow as I read from Luke 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet 
and heard his word. But Martha was distracted by much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. It's like a couple little kids. Obviously, this had gone on since they were children. They're sisters. And, you know, tell her to share that toy with me. <laughs> tell her to do this. Tell her to do that. And Jesus said, I'm not telling her anything because she's doing the right thing already. Now, Martha was doing a good thing. Martha was doing a very good thing. Jesus came to town, and you remember that Jesus didn't stay in the, the Ritz-Carlton. They didn't have him, of course. He didn't have a particular place that was his. He went into town like he told his disciples. If somebody takes you in, say, Lord bless you. And she said, hey, come stay with me. What a wonderful thing. And according to this, she was busy making preparations. You know, uh, cooking in that day take, took a lot more effort than it does today. And no telling what all she had to do in order to prepare a meal. And of course, it probably wasn't Jesus by himself. You know, Jesus traveled with an entourage, not because he thought he was important, but because he was discipling people. So she could have been preparing like Thanksgiving dinner for the clan. And she gets working and working and working, and pretty soon she says, where's that lazy sister of mine? Well, according to Jesus, that lazy sister wasn't being lazy. That lazy sister had put her mind down on Jesus. If you're going to consider Jesus... The most important thing that you have to do is commit the effort of dedicated time. You cannot know Jesus without spending time with him. And in particular, time with his word. One author put it this way. There must be a very considerable protraction of the gaze. You will never see Jesus Christ if you look at him only by snatches for a moment and then turn away the eye from him. There is no way by which we can bring an unseen person to have any real influence upon our lives except by the direction of our thoughts to him. So if you will give your thoughts and affections and the run of your minds to everything and everybody rather than to our master, there is no wonder that your religion is of so little use to you and brings so little blessing or power or nobleness into your lives. We need to give the effort of dedicated time. This is Christmas time, Christmas time. This is the birth of Christ. This whole program tonight is about the birth of Christ and him fleeing to Egypt. Consider Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. May I suggest to you that if you find it hard to spend time with Jesus, 
that the problem is that it's just not important enough? I'm remodeling my kitchen. And uh, we haven't mentioned this very many times, but you're all invited to our house next Sunday night. And uh, after having announced that the first time, I'm not sure that was a good idea. Because my kitchen's only about 80% done. Lord willing, it's going to be all done by next week. That is if Mike Anderson comes to help me with the floor. Where are you, Mike? There you are. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. He, t he told me he was going to help me. I, I just didn't tell him it was going to be the week before Christmas. But <laughs> Now, my usual evening time, if I don't have a meeting here or you know something particular to do, have a nice dinner, sit in the Lazy Boy, watch a little TV, maybe do a little thing here and there. But lately, I've had the TV on over there while I'm working over here. Because all of a sudden, watching the TV isn't a priority anymore. I'm working round the clock. <laughs> little here, little there. And, you know, I, I don't even care about that because I want to get this done. That's what priorities are all about, you know. You can tell where, what your priority list is by what gets cut. And right now on my personal priority list, watching TV isn't important. This other thing is important. How is it with you spending time with Jesus? Oh, Pastor Dave, I'm so busy. You know, they got me working 14-hour days right now. Nothing you can do about that. What about the other 10 hours you got? It's all about priorities. It's not about time. We've all got 24 hours in the day. If we would do what Hebrews 3 says and consider Jesus, it has to start with spending time. There is no way you will ever understand the person of Christ and the Christian life that he intends for you if you don't spend time with him. Considering Jesus starts with spending time. And then it goes on. Look back in Hebrews 3 with me, if you will. At a little word that we mention frequently, but I'm going to mention it again, and that's the word therefore. In your King James Version, it's, it's wherefore. Could be translated either way. The, the meaning is essentially the same. The little word is a connective word at the beginning of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. When God puts those little words in there, what he means for you to do is to look back at what's just been said. And the second kind of effort that I'm getting at right here, right now, is this. If you want to consider Jesus, you need to give the effort of systematic learning. Certainly God can guide you when you drop the Bible open and look for some wisdom. I've known a lot of people that have done that, and God seems to be faithful to help them from time to time. But if you really want to know Jesus, there needs to be some effort at systematic learning. That's what we do when we teach through a book of the Bible like we are right now in the book of Hebrews. You know, when I, when I preach through a book of the Bible, that's, what's really good for me is I know next week what I'm preaching about. It's going to be the next verse that I stop from this week. I never have to spend any time thinking about what I'm going to preach about. But you know what the, what the hard side is for me as a preacher? I've got to preach everything that's in a book. I've got to find some way 
to help you understand everything that's in there the best I can. But you know what? You know what that ends up being in the end run of your life? That ends up being a great discipline. A great discipline. I'm learning things about Christ along with you from the book of Hebrews. I studied Christology in Bible college, but we didn't learn everything in the Bible that's there. If we would understand any doctrine in the Bible, especially Jesus Christ, if we would really consider him, we must look at the whole passage, look at all of the truth. And right here, what he's telling these folks who received this letter and telling us today is, hey, before you go on to think about Jesus, think about what I just said. And here's just a little summary. He said, first of all, God spoke through Jesus. Secondly, he said, God calls Jesus his son, but he doesn't call the angels his son. Thirdly, he said, Jesus created all things, including the angels. That's going to be important in what we come to about Moses right here. He says, God took on a human nature and a body, and he, Jesus took on a human nature and a body, and he honored God the Father with his service on earth. And then God tells us that he honored Jesus for what he did here. We need to understand what is called the context, the broad outline of Scripture, as we would understand any particular verse. If you want to really say, I know Jesus, you've got to be a student of the Word, which goes beyond reading. You need to be here in church week by week. You need to be in a Sunday school class. You need to be in your own study. The other thing that you need to be doing if you're going to really consider Jesus is build your systematic understanding precept upon precept. There's a little verse in Isaiah 28.10 that tells us that God taught Israel precept upon precept, line upon line. You know what that means? That means everything you learn today should build on everything you learned yesterday. Understanding God's truth requires learning day by day. When I attended Bible college, Jeff and I went to the, the same great school. He went to another great school first, so he got a little head start. But The curriculum was organized in such a way as to build line upon line, precept upon precept. As a freshman, we went in and they said, you will take New Testament survey and Old Testament survey and doctrine survey and Christian life and witness and a few other classes. And we said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And we, we took these classes. And then as a sophomore, they said, now you'll take these classes. And then as a junior, we took a class that was a year-long systematic theology class. And by then, we'd gotten all of these pieces, and that theology class started to pull it all together. And you know, by the time we were seniors, there were freshmen asking us questions that we could answer. We thought, that's pretty cool. In hindsight, I think that's pretty dangerous. <laughs> because that was... 25 years ago that I graduated from college, and I've been learning a little bit. I, I don't know if I can say every day, but I hope every day, line upon line, precept upon precept. And you can too. It has to be important. And that's how we learn is line upon line, precept upon precept. Don't worry that you don't know something. Just set a goal to say, I am going to consider Jesus. I am going to know Jesus. I'm going to learn some more today in church, and I'm going to learn some more tomorrow when I read my Bible, and the next day, and I'm going to come to prayer meeting, and I'm going to learn some more, and, and, and I'm whatever. Line by line, precept upon precept. 
If you would say, I want to consider Jesus, that's what has to happen. There has to be effort at learning in an organized way. That's what the author is telling us here. Listen, look at the whole picture of what I've been telling you. And then he goes on to say something else. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Considering Jesus requires belief. I want to look, first of all, at the importance of belief. Turn with me to Matthew 12. I want to make a statement that I hope will stick in your craw, especially if you're an unbeliever today. Matthew 12, verse 38. The statement that I want to make is this. Belief is the only honest response to knowledge about Christ. Belief is the only honest response to knowledge about Christ. Look at Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of Israel, the organized religious leaders, they answered saying, Teacher, that's Jesus, we want to see a miracle from you or a sign from you that proves who you are. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater one than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater one than Solomon is here. You, you want to find a really interesting verse? Turn back just in my Bible a half a page to Matthew 12, 14. Now this is before the Pharisees asked him for a miracle sign. Look what they did in verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now, do you get the scenario here? He upset them so much that they have already decided they're going to kill him. And now they come very piously and say, Teacher, we would like to see a sign from you. Now, they were referring to the Old Testament uh, plan or procedure that God laid out where if, if a man said I'm a prophet from God then ask him for a sign because if he's really a prophet from God he'll have a sign so they're coming very piously you know in their hearts we're thinking man I can't wait till this guy's dead could you show us a miracle that proves you're from God and he said no miracle is going to be given here now why is that because Matthew 12 is the turning point it's the hinge in the revelation of God, whereby the Jewish people as a whole had rejected Christ. And so at the end of Matthew 12, he says, I'm not giving you any more signs, except one. And that's the sign of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, Jonah was three days and three nights in the great fish. I'm going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He didn't say it this way, but what he meant was, I'm only going to be there three days and three nights clearly inferring that he's coming out of the grave. Now let's look a little bit further at these folks. Turn back to Matthew 9. 
verse 35. Remember, these Pharisees have asked him for a miracle, but now let's go back in time. They do this on TV shows. I kind of hate it, but I think it's good this way today. We're going to go backwards. Nine, Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. You could circle that word all if you like. I'm amazed by it. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing how many sicknesses, class? Every sickness and every disease among the people. Can you imagine a day in Ferndale where there's not one sick person anywhere? That's what he did. He went about all the cities and villages and healed all the people. And these Pharisees come and say, show us a sign. <laughs> Hello? Duh! What does that tell you about the Pharisees? They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in proof. They're just trying to harangue him. Go with me to Matthew chapter 27. These same guys are still at it. Matthew 27, 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, Matthew 27, 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. He's the, the civil authority, we would call him. And he, they said, Sir... We remember while Jesus was alive how that deceiver, that liar, said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so that the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Hey folks, <laughs> if somebody came into my church today and said, I'm going to be killed and in three days, I'm going to raise from the dead. And my, my grave, you can come and watch me be buried and you can wait for three days and see if I don't come out of the tomb. I would be there with my folding chair. I would be there today because I want to prove him wrong. But even so, I'd be there. Not these guys. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in the possibility that he is the Savior. They're not, they're not even, even going to try. That's the craziest thing to me, to stand up and preach that God has the answers for your problems. And people say, well, I don't know about that. And they just leave. They don't even look into it. If you are honest in seeking the truth, you will come to that truth with an honest belief, which is, show me the truth and I will believe. Not these Pharisees. They have made up their mind. They're, they're not, don't confuse me with the facts. And by the way, I think that Matthew passage is the strongest proof for the resurrection that there is. You know why? Because his enemies wanted him in the ground. And if they had succeeded... If somehow he had not been raised from the dead, there would be a marker today, a brass plate that says, this is the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. But they didn't succeed. 
he raised from the dead. That's why in Hebrews 3, he talks to the believers about their confession. He says, look, look, folks, you have confessed Jesus as your Savior. You have believed in an honest response to knowledge. The word confession means to say the same words or to say the same thing. It's the same word from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. To agree with God. You see, there's more than one kind of belief. James 2.19 says the demons also believe and tremble. The word could actually mean bristle, like when the hair stands up on the back of your neck. My dog has a patch about that big right behind his neck that when a dog barks and he barks and stands up, you know, he's a short-haired dog, but that little hair goes just like that. You know, I'm dog, on dog alert. I'm ready to go. God says when the demons consider Jesus, the hair on the back of their neck stands up. Oh. That's not the kind of belief we're after here. <laughs> we're after the kind of belief that says, yes, I embrace, I accept, I welcome. That's the kind of belief. To confess is to say the same thing. It's to agree with God. What do we need to agree with God about Jesus? We need to agree that he is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, as we say sometimes. He, we need to agree with him that he took on a human life and died to pay for our sins. We need to agree with him that Jesus was buried and was resurrected three days later. We need to agree with him that Jesus is Lord and we should follow him in obedience. That's what it means to confess Christ. These people had confessed. They did not shudder and bristle at the thought of Christ. They embraced him. They embraced what they knew. And now the author of Hebrews is telling them, I want you to go on, go farther in your consideration of Jesus. Considering Jesus requires discernment. You see, these folks considered Jesus and believed in him, but they were also holding up Moses. Jesus and Moses. Jesus and Moses. And, and they were kind of struggling to know who's greater, Jesus or Moses. Now, none of us have that struggle today. None of us in this church. There are some folks in a church right up the road here who really struggle with this, and they hold up that law of Moses very high. Not as high as Christ, but they hold it up very high. And they haven't fully considered this passage which says, Moses was faithful to God. But Jesus was also faithful. What he says here in this passage is, Moses was a great man. Let's turn to uh, uh, Hebrews, excuse me, to uh, Numbers chapter 12 way back in that dusty section of the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. Moses was a great man. And there's a, there's a great little side message here for us today, too, that, that I'm just thrilled to share with you. But let's see how great God said he was. Numbers 12, verse 6. Then God said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Moses is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. 
and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Do you understand what God says about Moses? Moses is elevated to a position of no other Old Testament prophet. If we were to look at the, the whole story of Moses, we would understand that there was a time when Moses said, God, I want to see you. And God said, no man can see me and live, but I'll tell you what you do. I will put you in a space here, and I will hide you between two rocks. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by, and when I have already passed by, you can see the afterglow. That's literally what he said. And from that vision of the afterglow of the appearance of God, Moses' face lit up like a light bulb to where the people couldn't stand to look at him. What he's saying to us here is, hey folks, Moses is not like the other prophets. If I want to talk to them, I will give them a dream or a vision and it'll be in a dark saying or something that's not quite plain. It's a little tough to understand. He says, when I talk to Moses, I talk face to face. Hey, Moses was a great man. And in the book of Hebrews, we're told that he was, he was faithful. God called him faithful in the house of God. He referred to that house of God there in Numbers also. I, I got a little side lesson for you here today, folks. Do you know that Moses failed God big time once? Do you remember what happened? He was supposed to strike the rock. He had a stick, the rod of Moses, and he was supposed to strike the rock and water would come out. And Moses was angry with the people of God because they were complaining and carrying on. And he whacked the rock twice. And God said, Moses, you shouldn't have done that. And Moses was judged because of that disobedience. And he never got to enter the promised land. You know what the good news for us is here today? Moses is still called a faithful man. Have you failed the Lord at all? Boy, I have. There's still a possibility that you're going to be called a faithful person by God. You know why? Because the tone of Moses' life was faithfulness. And that's the question you need to ask yourself today as you consider Moses. Is the tone of my life faithfulness? If it is, then God sees that. You know, you may do something here on earth that has repercussions like what Moses did, and you may suffer for that. But that doesn't matter so much as coming to heaven and hearing God say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our potential. Now these people that the book of Hebrews is written to, they thought about Moses too much and elevated him too much. And so the author of Hebrews under God's inspiration, says, now folks, Moses was a great man. In fact, the word used of servant for Moses is a different word than is commonly used in the Bible. In the, in the New Testament, the common word would be slave or a, a household manager. This word means a person who had willingly attached themselves to an... That. In other words, they were not a bond slave as in I own you. They were a person who willingly worked for a person and, and served them uh, of their own free will. That's what Moses is called. He was a servant of God and he was called faithful over God's house. But the chief thing the author of Hebrews wants us to understand is this. Moses was great, but Jesus was greater. 
In Hebrews 3, Jesus is called, first of all, the apostle of our confession or the apostle of our salvation. The word apostle literally means a messenger or somebody who's sent. The, the, the 12 men that we call the apostles were sent by Jesus to do his work. Jesus was sent by God the Father to us to do God's work toward us. He is the apostle of our salvation. And then he's called the high priest of our, of our confession or salvation. The high priest was one who took a sacrifice to God. In other words, Jesus is the man between us and God. He brought God's ministry to us, and he took a ministry to God for us. He paid for our sin. He is the intermediator. He's the man between God and man. He is the apostle and high priest of our salvation. John 17, 3 says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is not only called the apostle and high priest, but, he's, but the author of Hebrews tells us he is counted worthy of more glory than Moses because he built the house. Verse 4 says, He who built all things is God. What we understand here, of course, it's, a, it's another way to say this. Jesus is the creator. Moses is one of Jesus' creations. How can Moses be elevated above Jesus when Jesus is the creator, not Moses? Now, with the house, he's, he's uh, no doubt referring in the Old Testament to God's people, the people of Israel. And in the New Testament, he's referring to the church, to, to this house that he has built, this, this uh, organism, the church. Jesus is the builder of all things. The recipients of this letter had wrong ideas about Christ because they were all consumed with Moses and they hadn't looked seriously at Jesus. Do you know how this comes to us today, folks? There are hundreds, yea, thousands of things asking for you to look at them. There are hundreds and thousands of things asking you to look at them for solutions to your life's problems. Magazine stand is full of magazines that say 10 ways to get your husband to love you or 10 ways to find a wife or, you know, five ways to make your kids obey or, I mean, all kinds of wisdom that's out there. And they call to us and... Boy, the magazines are slick and colorful and we, you know, 10 ways. I can get a hold of these 10 ways and we invest ourselves in that. The question is, how much time are you spending investing yourself here? There is always going to be something or someone that calls you away from Christ. It could be a church. There are churches today that call people away from Christ. They say, oh yes, Jesus was a good man and Maybe he was even the son of God, but this person here. The author of Hebrews says, no, no. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the savior. He's the one to be looking at. I found an interesting piece of information on my golf trivia calendar. One of my kids always gets me a trivia calendar, a little tear-off things every year at Christmas. And this year it was golf. Here's the quote. The next time it takes you eight or nine putts to hole out, don't feel badly. Yeah, that's me. The unofficial record for most putts taken on a single green is a staggering 156. For those of you, 
for those of you that don't know golf, usually about two or three is, is good. <laughs> the awful achievement was set by a clueless golfer, A.J. Lewis, at Peach Haven, Sussex, England, 1890. According to one account, Lewis's ball never did find the cup. I've never gone 156, but I've gone nine, eight or nine and then picked my ball up. <laughs> said that, you know, the other golfers are going, come on, come on, there's people trying to come through, come on. <laughs> there are lots of ways to miss getting the ball in the hole on the golf green. There's only one way to miss knowing Jesus. There is only one way to miss knowing Jesus, and that's not wanting to know him. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you haven't found him today, I challenge you to seek him. And this is where? Right here in this word. You don't need us to help you, but we will be glad to do so. Consider Jesus. Heavenly Father, Help us to consider Jesus. Help us to think on Jesus. Help us to put our mind down on Jesus to get to know him in his power, in his wisdom, in his ways. Father, if there's somebody here who's never believed in Jesus, help them to put their mind down on him today and really consider him. Father, make yourself true. Show yourself true and as we come to you seeking Christ, open our hearts and minds and show us the truth that only you can. I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.